I'm Luke Simmons. And I'm Seth Trout. And we are here to critique the hell out of culture. All right. Well, welcome back to the King and Culture podcast. Seth, happy holidays. Happy holy days to you as well. Are you a happy holidays or a Merry Christmas kind of person, Seth? Well, it depends if I'm around my Jewish family and we celebrate Hanukkah. So yeah, you do. It's over. Hanukkah's over. It's I'm, over already? It's over. Yeah. All of it? Yeah, my parents got us son's tickets for Hanukkah. Okay. And that was the that was last night, so Monday night. It's Tuesday. Okay. And I was done. So Wow. Eight do days you, and it's done. Do you do any celebrating with uh, Jay? I do not because he's a Gentile. <laughs> His mother is not Jewish, so he's not Jewish. Really? Well, I mean, I, I know that he's a Gentile by that definition, but I would have thought that would be a tradition you'd have continued. Probably at this point, I think him being close to fires, uh, <laughs> the cost reward or the risk benefit is is uh, in the negative on that one. So we stay away from that. Yeah. So uh, we know that there's all sorts of, uh, I think they're ridiculous culture wars out there about yeah. happy holidays versus Merry Christmas. Um, but today, what we are talking about, when you told me the idea for this conversation, I was like... You laughed. <laughs> what? And so today is about keeping Christ in Christmas. Keeping Christ in Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas! <laughs> right, I'm thinking, boy, this will be fun. Um, but as you kind of gave me a little bit of a tease as to where we want to take this conversation, I thought, man, yeah, that actually that actually does seem like something that could be helpful to folks. So, yeah, so keeping Christ in Christmas. Here we go. Yeah, I was, I was reflecting lately on the whole Christ and his heart and his disposition to the world and the way he's in the world and the way he comes into the world and the vulnerability of that, the incarnation, uh, him coming to a virgin, to a powerless couple, to a young couple, to a poor couple, to a couple on the margins in their society. Uh, you know, And the way Isaiah 53 talks about him as being well acquainted mm-hmm. with, with grief and suffering. Yeah, I was telling uh, Hank, actually, re- recently, we were talking about the Christmas story, and I was saying how, you know, when Jesus came, he's the king, but he didn't come to a palace. And Hank was like, what? Why wouldn't he come to a palace? What kind of lame king doesn't have a palace? Yeah. A king with no palace is, is a, you know, it's like I hear some guys say, I want to be a leader. I was like, well, no one's following you, so right. too bad, so sad, not a leader. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that's but it's actually the opposite of the way that Jesus comes. He comes in this weird position, this weird direction, this intentionality and vulnerability. And especially I was the other night driving away uh, from a meeting that was mostly pretty like intense or sad. And I was reflecting on like the disappointment that a lot of people have to carry with them in a lot of ways. It was nighttime and I drove past this church and it uh, it was a Roman Catholic church and they had this big sign, keep Christ in Christmas. Mm. And hanging right above the sign was the crucifix, a crucified Jesus. Huh. Wow. Right. Here's this man on the cross suffering, yeah. betrayed, crown of thorns. And that closeness of that image, mm. keeping Christ in Christmas, like and and not just that he came to die for your sins, but he came to suffer and die and be misunderstood and be betrayed. And yeah, man of sorrows. Yeah. And acquainted with grief. Yeah, and it's got me thinking a lot. I've had a, a couple of, I would say, just very sad, tearful meetings, connections, praying with people who are probably in their final weeks of life on this earth, life in this body, life in this deal. Yeah. 
people have been walking with Jesus 70 years or less. Uh, and one of them just yesterday, you know, that in this kind of like final stretch thing, just said, I hope I make it to Christmas. Mm. And just reflecting on for her family and her husband, like what Christmas is going to be like. Mm. And the the weight of keeping Christ in Christmas, that direction. And, it, and even just, you know, then I get in the car and 99.9 radio's on and it's, have a holly jolly Christmas. Mm-hmm. It's the best time of the year. And just this weird reality that both those things are just true. Yeah. That it's holly jolly Christmas. And then walking into the office from that meeting, I talked to um, uh, one of our ladies on staff. I was like, what percentage of people do you think are having an exclusively holly jolly Christmas? Mm. And she just laughed. <laughs> and she said, people in their 20s and 30s? I don't know, right. 40%, 50%, everybody else? Like pe- children? Right. You know, probably 80% of children, you know, maybe 60, 70% of teenagers. But it's like the longer, the older you are, the more complexity is added yeah. to the Christ of Christmas. And something that I've been reflecting on a lot is even like in like the way that our services feel as a church. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's right that they feel expectant, hopeful, praise the Lord, he has come to save us. Yep. Lord, come again, thank you. And so there is like a holly jolliness to the good news. It's not, you know, it's not the good news of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. It's not the bad news of Jesus, right? Sure. If Jesus never comes, all we have is bad news. But how the good news doesn't immediately eliminate all bad news. Yeah. But it progressively does, and it will ultimately one day eliminate all bad news. Well, and I think for people that are experiencing suffering, that are experiencing loss and death, or maybe they're coming up on a first Christmas without somebody that they care about, or maybe a, a 20th Christmas without somebody they care about. All the all the love, joy, peace, hope, you know, that all is true, but it also can feel a little bit like, does anyone else notice, like, the pain of this? Yeah. And um, one of the things that I love about what you're talking about, the idea of keeping Christ in Christmas is to go, well, he does. Jesus notices, Jesus experiences it, Jesus knows about it. And so, um, yeah, I think in the midst of a lot of celebration, which is appropriate, it's also appropriate to reflect on the, the heavy aspects of, of, uh, our lives and how Jesus meets us there. And I think about even just the heart of Christ. So keeping the whole Christ in Christmas and how this book that you and I both read this past year that we've, I've given out hundreds of copies of this book literally, is the book Gentle and Lonely by uh, Gavin Ortland yeah. that really centers on that Matthew eleven twenty nine text where he says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. And going gentle and lowly of heart, like this is pretty different than this like Santa Claus who's like, better watch out, better not cry, better not pout, I'm telling you why. Right. I, and, or even this, uh, this, uh, he sees you when you're sleeping, knows when you're awake, you know, he's keeping tabs on you. Like that's feels very incongruent with the way that we've conflated Santa and Jesus mm-hmm. in a lot of our hearts and minds. That's gentleness, this lowliness. Going well, to- and, and Orland points out that book that that's the only place where Jesus explicitly says, here's my heart. Right. And, and the heart was not just about your emotions. It was kind of the seat of your entire being. Right. And so in the only place where Jesus says, do you want to understand my heart? Here it is. I'm gentle and lowly at yes. heart. Like that's that's remarkable because he's because he's holy and he's righteous. 
This is the same guy who's turning over tables, same guy who's telling the Pharisees, y'all are a bunch of whitewashed tombs, right? Mm -hmm. But he's saying it, my heart of hearts, I'm gentle and lowly. Yeah, and what does it mean to keep that Christ in Christmas? Mm -hmm. All of him. Not just the Savior Christ who delivers us from all bad stuff, which will ultimately happen. Not just the Christ who pushes back on systems of power, who's the King of kings, Lord of lords, but the Christ who has a broken heart, who weeps with those who weep, who's connected us. Mm. In trying to make space for that Jesus in our Christmas process, yeah. mostly I mean like at a household individual level, like yeah. am I embracing the tension complexity mm. of keeping the whole Christ in Christmas, or am I kind of shoving or oppressing all the, all the difficult things in favor of holly jolly, or the other side, am I just you know doing Eeyore Christmas and not embracing the future hope that's coming? And yeah. and I think that that invitation to emotional complexity is a lot of what we even see in the Apostle Paul that he's going, I'm sorrowful yet always rejoicing. How do we do that? Mm-hmm. And I think that the first thing the way we do that is by trying to do that. And I think that's that's trying to do that is more than most of us really do. And stepping into the complexity of that and the difficulty of that and the weight of that. Cause it is emotionally exhausting. Like yeah. even just, I was t- someone asked me yesterday how my day was and it was, it was one of the more exhausting days I've had because of the change of gears. You know, I spent an hour with the woman who is passing soon. And then like at the end of the day, I was at the sun's game and they're beating the spurs. <laughs> right. You know, and I'm losing my voice cause I'm, cheering and booing the refs because that's way more fun to do in person than when you're at your home. (laughs) And like, I think that like cheering for the Suns beating the Spurs is not folly. Right. But it's, it's like the simple pleasures of life that there's this common grace blessing given to us. And and then I also am talking about budgets. I'm talking about financial peace and I'm talking about like just the the flip flop from like really high highs to really low lows on the same day. And then at the end of the day, you're like, I'm smoked. Yeah. Sure. But it felt like such a good, like, full picture of this, how do you keep the whole Christ in Christmas? And mm. and that he's come to save us, but he's not saved us yet from the presence of death and sin. Yeah. That is a future promise, not a yeah. present one. So let me ask you, uh, you know, just your thoughts on this then. So for those 20-year-olds or 30-year-olds, the people that the staff lady was laughing about, you know, who really Christmas is mostly just great for them, and it's happy, and it's joyful and praise the Lord for that. How would someone in that stage of life keep the whole Christ in Christmas in this way? I think the big part of it for me is, I mean, so much I think of embracing wisdom is coming to terms with your lack of perspective and experience. Hmm. And so buying into this belief that I don't see it all, I don't hear it all, I don't feel it all. And even beginning to pray the direction of Lord, help me have eyes to see and ears to hear the people for whom this is a pretty difficult or rough season. Yeah. Right. Like there's another lady a couple weeks ago that I was at coffee with, you know, single mom, four kids. And she's like in tears saying, this is not how, when I was 25, I thought my life would be. Mm. And just the weight of now I'm doing, this is my life now, you know? And, and it's Mary, there's Merry Christmas. I get to these moments of real joy and pleasure. And, but there's also this like, there's overwhelming disappointment. And so she's in her thirties. And so she, obviously she's well acquainted with grief and sorrow as well. I think for people who feel distant from it, trying to create space for it in your heart, like this is the whole idea of like, let every heart prepare him room. 
Mm. If I'm trying to prepare all of him room, I have to like prepare my heart to include the Christ who's gentle and lowly and well acquainted with grief and sorrow. I can't just have the, the conquering King Jesus. And so praying that direction is really the first thing we do because I do think we pray. And so God begins first by, I think, changing our desires. We want to feel the weight of the world. We want to be acquainted with grief and suffering like Jesus is. It's not to say we want to suffer, but we want to be acquainted with it because right. Jesus is acquainted with it. You shouldn't want to suffer. That's called masochism and it's unhealthy. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, embracing the reality of suffering and being acquainted with it is a good thing. So I hope that Jesus, by his spirit, changes our desires so we go, I no longer want to just see the silver linings, but I want to see the clouds. Lord, help me see them. And I think he changes our eyes and our ears and we get close to that direction. Mm. I think part of it too is you have a ton of people around us who, like a, going back to C.S. Lewis, which is from time to time where my mind goes a lot. Mm-hmm. In, in the Narnia books, when Mr. Tumnus says, oh, because the witch is raining, it's always winter here and it's never Christmas. And it's interesting that just little phrase is like, that says so much. There are a lot of people around us, our neighbors, our friends, who it's all winter and no Christmas. Mm. And what and what he's getting at there is it's it's all the negative and none of the hope. Yeah. None of the experience of God moving towards me. Aslan is not on the move, it seems like. Mm-hmm. And if he is, his warmth is not touched here. Yeah. And... So looking for those people, having eyes for them, having ears for them. Yeah. What would you say then for the people who are maybe more in middle age or older age who are more acquainted with suffering, are more acquainted with grief? Um, they don't have to kind of imagine a scenario in which Christmas would be sorrowful. Yeah. It just is. Um, how does this gentle, lowly Christ meet them there? How do they keep this whole Christ in Christmas? I think, so I was talking to... One of our, uh, a guy goes to our church yesterday. So this is another one of my, just as a full day yesterday. Mm-hmm. And his son just moved out. And it's, it's good, but it's sorrowful. Yeah. And he was talking to me about seeing me with my son, Jay, and how it makes him miss this, the, when his kids were toddlers. Mm, sure. And the how quick the vapor of life is and how, it's good that they grow up. I want this. And it's still like Christmas is just like Christmas with a two to six year old is just categorically different than Christmas with a 23 sure. year old who yep. has an income and is not excited uh-huh. about sure. the $12 toy button. And, and I was kind of like thinking, I wonder if this is like a, if my son's like a source of sorrow, right? Like I'm, I'm mm-hmm. making people or not, I'm making people, but I'm giving people the opportunity to go, what, what, Good you old mean days. because you talk about him all the time? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he and he. But act, he's precious to you, of course. You talk about to me, him. Yeah. And so he he mentioned to me, and he goes, "But whenever I I see you with Jay, like it brings me real joy. Uh, yeah. That uh, there's always pockets of newness of mm, life. And, sure. And one of the things my mom would say all the time whenever I was being jealous and grumpy as a kid, she's like, "You need to be happy for your friends." You know, be happy for your friends. And I do think a real mark of maturity as well is being able to celebrate other people's uh, explosions of warmth and excitement. Even when you're in a pretty winterous season, Mm -hmm. being able to rejoice at new life and rejoice in the the cycle of passing on the faith, marching forward when you're on the back end. And I think 
have again having eyes to see because we tend to see what we're looking for. Yeah. I think some people need a season where they're really looking for the for the sorrow because they need to become acquainted with it. Mm-hmm. I think other people need a season where they're really looking for the evidence of hope and grace mm. because all they're seeing is the negative and they're glass half empty all the time. You know, there's a cloud for every silver lining mm-hmm. type stuff. And are we? Do we believe that the kingdom of God is breaking in? even in the midst of ways that it's, it's, uh, uh, it seems distant. Yeah. And so I think part of it is that self-awareness of going, nobody's ever like perfectly balanced, <laughs> right? There's no such thing as being, uh, I'm perfectly managing the rejoicing and sorrow at the same time thing. And so it's just, it's seasonal sure. and, and different things that are easier, different things are harder. And I think even like the day the Lord gave me yesterday, as I'm thinking through Christmas of, I was, Basically, it had exclusively five great months with Jay. You know, it's like all mm-hmm. positive Christmas, exciting. Mm-hmm. He's opening gifts. Wow, open it, see. Oh my God! And it's all, it's a lot of Christmas, not a lot of winter. Mm-hmm. And thanking the Lord for opportunities to see the winter and Christmas, and to become more acquainted with that. Yeah. And trying to really represent Him, Jesus, the gentle and lowly one who's well acquainted with grief and suffering. That I have to for me to represent him to the world at my gym and in the grocery store and places that I go, I have to, there has to be a limp to the, to the hope. Mm. Like there has to be some sorrow with the joy. If I'm going to really accurately represent the heart of Christ everywhere I go. So when you think about this, I mean, obviously you, you're coming off the day you had yesterday, which sounds like a day, unlike it's, it's a day that you don't normally have. Yes. Right. Let alone most of us and most of us who are listening are going to go like, I'm not going to have a day like that with all those highs and all those lows. At least that's not going to happen very often. Is there anything besides like, okay, just think about that, you know, Christ is, you know, gentle and lowly and he was born in a manger and he's born to this poor couple and he did not come in the palace and, you know, he's acquainted with suffering and grief. Is Other than think about that or or in addition to thinking about that, are there are there any practices? Are there any kind of exercises you would do um, or that you might encourage people who kind of go, yeah, you know what, I, uh, I I know I need to get more familiar with this part of Jesus, but I, I'm struggling with it. Any, any recommendations? Yeah, the reason I started with the praying and thinking is because I think all good change begins by praying, asking the Spirit to work in the heart and mind. Yeah. But it doesn't, certainly never ends there. Like the phrase that we talk about in some of our spiritual formation classes is or at labora, which means work and pray or, and you could also think about that as prayer that leads to work. Mm-hmm. So you pray into action, you pray yourself in action and that into action, this piece I really think has to do with like getting proximity and asking people questions like how was Christmas easy and how's Christmas hard for you? Mm-hmm. And just hearing stories because a lot of people like it's, People can like berate and be mad, keep Christ in Christmas, and that equals like it ain't all about the gifts, and it's not all about the lights, and it's not all about the, but all of that stuff can magically, or not magically, it's a really bad word, <laughs> spiritually is a better word. Yeah. Can really be this picture of the gifts that God gives and the light that Jesus is and the celebration of new birth and second coming. And so all of the things that we love to like moan about consumerism and Christmas and stuff. If you look at that through the right lens, it's all pointing us to the heart of God and his generosity and his light and darkness. But when we pray and think about trying to keep the whole Christ in Christmas, not just the the gracious, giving, merciful, party-throwing God, but also the one 
gentle, lonely heart. The reality is that everyone has some story in them. And whether we're in touch with it or not is it mm-hmm. the other question. Yeah. Like talking to close friends that I'm around all the time, like, hey, who do you miss on Christmas? Mm. Hey, who who do you think is having a hard time this Christmas? And if you ask someone that question, almost everybody has an answer. We've just so distanced ourselves from those realities because they're they're painful. And yeah. going, I think part of the spiritual discipline of this is going, I'm going to try to undistance myself from the heart of Christ, which is gentle and lowly, well acquainted, well acquainted with grief and sorrow. Yeah. And that's part of the embracing complexity of Christmas. Yeah. A, a tool that we've been using as a family, um, there's this thing called Advent Blocks, and it comes with a kind of an Advent devotional. And one of the things I really like about a lot of the Advent devotionals that are out there is they tap into a little bit more of kind of the historical experience of Advent, right? We we right now, as we sit here in December, we'd go, well, we're in Christmas time. Yeah. But throughout the history of the church, we would not be in Christmas time. We would be in Advent. And Christmas yes. Christmas time, it would actually be Christmas tide, would begin on December 25th, and it would be 12 days of celebrating Christmas. And Advent would be this season of anticipation and longing and hoping and yearning and this sense of, like, we don't have it yet, but we'd like to have it. Um, it's funny for us, by the time we get to, like, Christmas night <laughs> in our culture, it's like, I'm over this. Let's take down the tree. Like, we're, we're tired of it. Um, and, uh, and anyway, in this, in this devotional, one of the things that it's, it's kind of going through the biblical story and at each different point, there's a character, and it will always say this character began to hope and to pray, God, will you come to stay? Mm. And there's always this pause, and there's like this repeat after me thing. And so we're we're doing it. We're a few days behind, and we're doing our best to kind of keep up with it. But, um, you know, story we read last night was on Hagar. You know, Hagar, who um, basically gets mistreated and abused by the first father of the faith and his wife, Abraham and Sarah, and yet God sees her. God notices her. God gives her water in the desert. God meets her in the midst of her pain and her brokenness. And and so Hagar began to hope and to pray, God, will you come to stay? And so I think that kind of yearning is another part that um, that I think throughout the history of the church, there's been that wisdom there to go, okay, let's, let's lean into that a little bit. Let's understand that a little bit. And uh, you actually uncovered some what the advent candles used to stand for. Yeah. There's this theologian named Fleming Rutledge who she's pretty spicy and I, <laughs> I, I appreciate her, but she, uh, she's kind of like, uh, uh, I would say like the Clint Eastwood of female theologians. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure I know what that means and I might know exactly what that means. So. Yeah. So I'll read the tweet and you'll know what it means. So, uh, I'm not sure if it's hundred percent true or 90% true, but she goes, some leading blogger is promoting the idea of giving names to Advent wreath candles of love, peace, etc. This so-called tradition is about twenty years old with zero liturgical background. The ancient I don't, Advent, I don't think I believe that part. Yeah, but I believe the next part. Yeah, I I've I fact-checked the next part. Yeah, and this is true. The twenty years thing feels like a uh, rhetorical device. I'll say that. Yeah, <laughs> it's a better way of saying. It. She says the ancient Advent words are death, judgment, heaven, and hell. I did not make that up. So that's what she said. Yeah. And I, I sent that to you and I was like, this is our Advent series next year, death, judgment, heaven, and hell <laughs> and see the church grow. You know, yeah. So, but, right. But just that reality of leading up to Christmas, the church is reflecting on death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Well, and it's a bit of this like reflection. What if he didn't come? Yes. What that, if, what if we're left in 
the end of the Old Testament and the 400 years of silence and God, will you come to stay? Like, are you going to show up? And if he doesn't show up, we're, we're in a heap of trouble, right? And so Advent is, it, in a sense, it should be a reflection on that. Yeah, this reality that if Christmas doesn't happen, all we receive is death, judgment, hell. And that would have been getting what we deserve. Yeah. But there's this real gift. And so the real gift of Jesus' presence and his substitutionary death for us and his love for us and his choice to suffer on our behalf is that what we get for Christmas is not death, judgment, and hell, but instead we get heaven and we get yeah. God and we get grace and we get mercy. And so trying to fight for that gratitude and not an entitlement, because I think if you, especially growing up in the church and hearing it again and again, we begin to feel entitled to the gift of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I, when I talk to parents who are most frustrated with Christmas, it's like when their kids start to feel entitled to the gifts. Mm-hmm. It's like, what do I get for Christmas this year? And it better be what I like. And right. and they're like the absence of gratitude is generally fueled by entitlement. And mm. and if we really begin to feel entitled to the gift of Jesus, we are out we're out of it. We yeah. are missing the point. And fighting to believe that what so if you're leading up to Christmas or reflecting on death, judgment, and hell, that would help you not feel entitled to the gift of Christ and his suffering on our behalf. And so reflecting on that complexity in the season. Like I just, I just want to read Isaiah 53 because it's been on my mind Re- reflecting. This is a you know prophecy of the person, Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he has one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. He is pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, and he opened not his mouth, like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that bore its shears in silence. He opened not his mouth, and on and on it goes. Mm. And just the, I want to be able to keep that Christ in Christmas. Yeah. And I also want to be able to have a holly jolly Christmas with my son. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to keep the whole Christ in Christmas. Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, leading us in this reflection. I think it's been helpful. And um, we want to wish all of you, uh, whatever point you're listening to this, uh, Merry Christmas if it's not Christmas yet. If you're listening after Christmas, then, well, Christmas will be here soon. Yeah, always winter, never Christmas, unless then Christmas happens. <laughs> yeah, unless you have Jesus. Unless you have Jesus. All right, Seth, thanks, man, and uh, thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>